archive of PDQ slash pile. We take more time than other editorial boards, but we stand behind our methodology. So much so that we're going to share our process with you through this podcast. Welcome to the editorial table. I'm Kathleen Volkmiller. I run the graduate program in publishing here at Drexel University, and I'm co-editor of Painter Bride Quarterly. I uh, write creative nonfiction and essays. I've been published in Salon, New York Times, Brainchild. I have a piece upcoming in Oprah, and I am in the audio studio in Philadelphia. Um, but I think first I'm going to head out to our remote people. This week is really special because Dr. Marion Wren is in the same time zone. Boom. Boom. <laughs> so I don't get to have her in the room. Can't hold her hand yet. But we can all be in the same time zone and there will be no cuckoo clock today. No cuckoo clock. The but first soon episode is not a cuckoo clock for those who are avid fans who are paying attention <laughs> to these things. So Dr. Marion Wren, tell us about you and where you are. I am sitting in my uh, lovely little New York apartment, um, and I, it's on the first floor uh, on Morton Street, and so we are bound to catch some New York noise. Um, and, you know, that, that maybe that will stand in for the cuckoo clock, a fire truck, <laughs> maybe a screaming pedestrian, you know, God love the West Village. Um, so I'm Marion Wren. I run the, the writing program at NYU in Abu Dhabi. Um, and I am co-editor for the Painted Bread Quarterly, and I've been working with Kathy for, um, Kathleen, how long has it been? How old is he? Don't we like 20... to just say more than 20 years? Let's just keep it there. I, maybe, Let's maybe more Let's keep it there for the next 40, 50 years. Fair we'll enough, more fair than enough. 20. What is time? What is time? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I write, I write creative nonfiction. I do media uh, history and cultural analysis, and um, I run... I run a writing program and I love PDQ. Um, and I'm gonna bounce I'm gonna bounce this over now to our, our other New York colleagues. So it's nice to be in your time zone, other New Yorkers. Yeah, Jason, why don't you go next? Hello, I am Dr. Jason Schneiderman. Um, I am coming to you from my lovely but windowless office in Tribeca at the Borough of Manhattan Community College where I am an assistant professor. Wonderful. And Miriam, our third New Yorker today. I'm Miriam Heyer. I think I've been with PBQ for about nine years. Um, started as an intern and now I'm an editor and I am coming to you from Union Square. Awesome. And now back into Philadelphia with me in the studio is Tim Fitz. Yes, I'm sitting here in the basement studio also with <laughs> Kathleen and um, <laughs> I teach freshman writing here at Drexel University, and I've been reading with the Painted Bride quarterly for a little over two years, which has been fantastic. Um, and my new chapbook has just come out with the, the Head in the Hand Press here in Philadelphia called All 88 Keys, and my other stories have appeared in the Gettysburg Review, Granta, Shenandoah, and other literary magazines. And my novel, The Soju Club, will be coming out as a Korean translation Hopefully next month with Moonhak Dangne Press in Seoul. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, super cool. And he just um, granted me with a uh, a copy of the chapbook from Head and Hand Press, so I'm really excited. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm holding it in my little hands right now. 
So, um, all right, let's move on to the work. So all of these poems can be found on the PBQ uh, site. Just go to pbq.drexel.edu and then click on podcast and you can find each episode. Um, I kind of love this. Our first poet up today is Maggie Queenie and she submitted her work for the Monsters issue. Uh, if you're paying attention, you realize that we do themed issues every now and then and one of the ones we're collecting for is Monsters. Uh, when we asked Maggie Queenie for permission uh, to use her work, she said, this sounds fascinating and terrifying. <laughs> Which I just love. Don't you guys love that? That's the t-shirt. That should be our tagline, PBQ slush pile. Fascinating and terrifying. <laughs> um, so, uh, so we have three poems by her. And um, uh, who would like to go first? Who would like to read the first one? I'll read it. All right. Okay, so this is called uh, Last Case on the Murder Task Force. A telephone splices the night, lit nerve ending or lightning strike, and the child rises all lung, all mouth, and howl. The man rises from inside the mother, rises from the casts of his fingers, clutched into the sheets, and separates the boy's head from his chest. He runs, knife in hand, body in arms, floor to floor, beating on doors as the thin limbs jog at his sides. He palms the boy's head, guides the jaw back to the neck, but blood leaks and blacks his bared chest in the stills taken later that night. The state assigns my father to the defense. He twists the tinny striped, stripped? I'm sorry. He, tists, he twists the tinny stripped facts into a cast outlining a life. He tells the jury, holy mackerel. Sorry, I just scrolled down and missed it. <laughs> okay, party foul. I'm reading these um, on my computer screen so I don't shuffle paper and that gets caught in the sound of this and I'm just on the complete wrong screen. Hold on a minute. All right, ladies and gentlemen, official do-over. Last case on the murder task force. A telephone splices the night, lit nerve ending or lightning strike, and the child rises all lung, all mouth, and howl. The man rises from inside the mother, rises from the casts of his fingers clutched into the sheets, and separates the boy's head from his chest. He runs knife in hand, body in arms, floor to floor, beating on doors as the thin limbs jog at his sides. He palms the boy's head, guides the jaw back to the neck, but blood leaks and blacks his bared chest in the stills taken later that night. The state assigns my father to the defense. He twists the tinny stripped facts into a cast outlining a life. He tells the jury the man grew up, a thing burnt by his grandfather, his mother, that his thin body smoked and scabbed taut. And then the foster homes and the beatings and the drugs and the howl and the boy and the knife. The state threads a new heart into the man's chest. He is kept living. He is sentenced to death. Nights on trial, my father walks the floor with my infant brother, crouped up and wailing the mucus out of his lungs, his mouth with a howl. My mother sleeps, buried tight as a drawer knife, gleaming through what beauty her children had left. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that's wow. a poem. Really well for the monsters issue. 
Yep. Those images, it's just so dense. So dense. I love the opening, the the lit nerve ending and the child rises all lung, all mouth and howl. That's fantastic. I mean, just the, the rhythm and the, I mean, you, I guess if you can see the severe looking on the website, but um, the line breaks and the stanza break there are just gorgeous. Yeah. All lung, mm -hmm. mouth and howl. Yeah. And it's such a, such an amazing and wonderful gift when we come back to the father walking with the infant son. Mm -hmm. and those same mm -hmm. words, right? Mm -hmm. That's where it really brings home, brings it home. And, and so, yeah. what's with the state threads a new heart into the man's chest? What does that mean? Well, I think so, I, I, I yeah. think for for me, the line is the state assigns my father to the to the defense. So now the father has this horrific soul struggle that he has to deal with. He has to somehow make this man seemed like not a monster. And I think that ties into um, the state threads a new heart into the man's chest where yeah. they have to humanize uh -huh. uh, the, this man, yeah. the criminal. I agree. That's just how I read it. Uh, they, they paint this empathetic picture of him, you know, for the jury, but he's still sentenced to death. Uh -huh. I, I read it like Miriam. Uh, like Miriam, I actually really thought it was a literal heart transplant. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Well, I'm very literal. I I don't. Yeah, yeah I, I guess. Yeah, me, like, I read it on that turn where it says the state assigns my father to defense. He twists the tinny stripped facts into a a cast outlining a life, but you get him like making the story, right? right. Like making the story for the for the for the court for the trial. Um, but I think one of the things that I really also admire about the poem is, you know, it's working in couplets, but boy, oh boy, does she work a list, right? Like, mm -hmm. the, like the rhythm of these lists and these details, the way it sort of like tumbles into the next thing and like accumulates into sense reminds me so much of, say, like Robert Pinsky, right? Or that, that poem of his called The Shirt, right? Where you get the sort of the, the listing, listing, listing in the as part of the pleasure of the sound of the poem. Mm -hmm. I think she's got she's got a lot of that happening here too. Yeah. I like but Miriam, you were trying to say something. No, I was going to say that I also read it literally. And I, I think it's you know, it's asking questions about what one person's crime does to another family, but I think it's also kind of exploring what the state how the state serves you or doesn't serve you, like the the idea that the foster homes kind of both produce you and are you wind, where you wind up in a certain sense. Um, and I really, I, I liked that about the poem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's right where I'm talking about too, right? And then the foster homes and the beatings and the drugs and the howl and the boy and the knife, right? Like you get the sort of juxtaposition of those images like gives you the narrative of this this crime or the trajectory towards it well right? it's also it's its own thread too like mm -hmm. the very next line is about how the state threads something mm -hmm. and i think that the in, in some sense at least for the defense of this criminal the state has threaded this crime together as well yeah 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 those are the tinny strips you know those mm -hmm. the list of uh Portrait, portrait, portraiture of the, of the criminal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Jason, I think we might be at that place we were with those poems where you're like, well, if all we're going to do is sit around and praise it, maybe we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have no patience for this talking nicely about things. Um, <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> this is too good. That's how we do it in New York. We're like, yeah, there, there's nothing. well all right so we are um we're an odd number we're an odd group and an odd number so we're five today which is great two in philly three in different locales in new york um Mm -hmm. philadelphia will one two three shoot it and you three new yorkers please text away to joe zhang our producer ready one two three vote Okay, so it's uh, unanimous. Yay. Yes, yes in the studio. So way to start episode five. Um, All right. How about Knox? Uh, I'll just I'll just do this one. Okay. Great. Knox. Uh, This is so this is our same poet Maggie Queenie and also monsters. Knox, a child teethes through the door a loop of scream and whimper traces the length of the porch. Morning, I find the blood left by the raw gums rubbed like a hand along the rail, the floor, the frame and lock to the front door. At night, I stay inside, listen to the tap somnolent in the pipes, the house drafts, the moon pushing to perfect circle. The birds curl into their fists of nest, their small breasts, hot hulls above the shriek of owl-torn mice. Animals take a human voice in dying, their wet tunnels of throat, slick and holy as the inside of a flute, bottom into the black running under. Wow. All right. So I'm really digging Maggie Queenie stuff, but I have a question about this one. What is Knox? Like Isn't that, it just a word for night? Is it? Is that what it's doing there? Okay. I was like, is that nitrous oxide? Like, what, what is Knox? <laughs> well, if you Google Knox, it, it mm-hmm. comes up with the noun oxides of nitrogen as atmospheric pollution. Oh, okay. So, what? <laughs> and I checked out the Latin. It is, it is, in fact, the Latin word for night. It is Latin. All right. So, okay. Thank you very much, team. That's very helpful. Animals take a human voice in dying. Right? Stop. Right? I think about that all the time. Yep. I love how this... Um, the, the just the image of a child teething as an animal dying mm-hmm. and the way that the blood, you know, I mean, because like we don't, I mean, it's it's like Wolverine, right? I mean, a child mm-hmm. teething is, is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that basically our bodies are designed in these like terrible ways that do all these awful things to us. <laughs> I, okay. I Wolverine. Thank you, Jason. Yes, <laughs> actually, well said, right? Like the, the the teeth shoving through the gums is a transformation, not unlike American Werewolf in London. It's, it's, it's absolutely, hard. I mean, childbirth, 
like until like from the time you're born to I, the bodies are are awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but wait. In the poem, right? It's through the door, a loop of scream and whimper traces the length of the forge. Morning, I find the blood left by the raw gums rubbed like a hand along the rail, the floor, the frame, and lock to the front door. So what? Like this child was like gnawing its way out of the, the house? Like what? It's such a creepy nightmarish nightmarish image, right? So what did you guys make of that? Just the, like, I mean, I, I like the, the children, I, I, I've been around teething babies and none of them left like <laughs> blood behind them everywhere. Mm. Um, but I, I do love the image that like this child is sort of like gnawing on anything it can get its hands on. And, you know, it's like a horror movie. I dig that. Yeah. What do you think, Tim? I dig it less than the other poem because one, I don't know if it's because I'm digging this less or I just liked the other one so much. Mm -hmm. the, the other line, the other poem, I don't want to get back to the other poem too much, but the, the, the state assigns my father to the fence to me is is one of the most horrific things that can happen to somebody <laughs> is mm -hmm. to know somebody's guilty of such a, an awful crime and then have to try to set them free so i'm still kind of grooving on that poem and i and this one is harder for me to get into um because i don't know if the child teething is is um is the sound of the animal outside mm -hmm. um, i used to sit on my back porch when I lived in Maryland during grad school and there were a bunch of foxes out there and I don't know if they were mating or eating something but they would make these wonderful throaty guttural screams yeah. that would go on for like a half hour and I used to hang out and listen to them. And I don't know if someone, something was dying or something was being created but it was just such a fascinating sound that I can, when you have a teething child, um, I mean, it is. It does. It does bring up those sort of images, and I'm a little confused as to whether the poet is describing a sound and comparing it to a child teething, or comparing the child teething to the sound of the animal. Well, so, I, so I'm actually, getting a little hard time being grounded in it, like the other I, poem. I think it's B. I think the child teething is like the animals dying outside, and and I think it's possible that that blood is could be i mean we do have um owl torn mice yeah and i've certainly found animal bodies in my yard and porch from both you know cats and other things and so well i was thinking yeah. that there you know there's a child teething inside the house that's making such an animalistic kind of scream and howl right. that the animals outside are trying to like get inside to their kin type thing mm -hmm. like when I was thinking of like the the blood along the the lock it's, mm -hmm. to me it was the lock on the outside of the door mm -hmm. not the inside of the door um and I, I think that that's um you know it, it's interesting I don't know if the poem is doing this or if I'm doing this but the animals take a human voice in dying I'm, I'm very interested in the like possible connection between just a transformation into a new stage of life, like a time when you have teeth, and the relationship between like a death of a previous stage or something. Mm -hmm. I guess the image of the animals dying making these sounds bothers me a little bit because I think they make more um, of these sounds while they're mating and not dying. I, I think, don't they just crawl off and like crawl under a log and die? 
I don't know if they <laughs> make. How you die. Yeah, I guess right. it depends it on depends if you're. On how you die. Yeah, if you're in the throes of a fox or a right. wolf, you're gonna maybe make these sounds. Then you're gonna scream. So. Right. But for me, it's more of an image system that um, the wildness that inhabits the toddler is the same wildness that inhabits the outside. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's just look at the poem itself too. Like she's done couplets again and she's done all this really intense imagery. It's not as um, repetitive, you know, the, the one that we just voted in has the same images come up again. We get knives, howl, mouth, repeated, repeated, right? This doesn't do that, but um, I would say what is like is the intensity of these images um, and, the, and the couplets. How do you think that works, the couplet form for this one? Being that it's not a list as much as the last one. So when we're looking at, at poems as like a selection, I always want to be careful never to kind of hold one poet's well-written poem against them. You know, it's like, oh, well, that one was better than this one. But um, I think the question is really more like, how do they work together? Yeah. And I think that the couplet form and the sort of like family history against the kind of like moment in child rearing actually work really well together. Like, I, I think they actually kind of create a nice um, friction um, where they're kind of working. It's a similar style. Um, and similar themes, but then the scope is different enough that they kind of resonate rather than fight. Yeah. You know what, Jason, though, I want to I jump in on that first thing that you said, too, like how the, that challenge of reading the poems discreetly, like just taking a you know batch from a single author, but taking each poem one at a time. Um, and, and then through the editorial process, like the fact that this has been this batch has been read multiple times. These are the three poems that have um, risen to the surface, right? And so it's it's such a, a, like a, a, a trick of the mind, right? It's a real challenge to think of them separately and not necessarily see how the image systems cross the poems or um, how, like, you know, you know the, the fact, you know, how is it that one's doing it better than another, say, um, is certainly a question, but also like, okay, if we take multiple poems and showcase this this poet in the magazine. Well, which of them are the best, and what does that look like, and how how do you make a decision, a determination based on that? Like that always sticks with me, and then and it and it ties directly to this conversation. Like, should we read them all and then decide, or read them one by one, and how does that impact our decision making process? Yeah, I mean, in New York, we always err on the side of generosity to the poet. So yeah. we're like, if we have a batch. And we know that there's one that we really, really want, then we'll often like look at the rest of it before we kind of make that big decision. Mm -hmm. But thinking like, oh, you know, we're not a hundred percent sure, and we kind of want to. I mean, we'll, but we'll we'll do whatever we think is going to give the most generous reading to the author. Yeah, yeah. You know what? What I'm finding interesting about this conversation is that um, sometimes I think we, and I mean all of PBQ, sometimes we pick two things from one poet because they're so different from one another. And what we talk about is, wow, won't these look great next to each other because they're such a juxtaposition, right? They're so different. And in this particular case, we're saying, look at how nicely they complement one another. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, I personally feel like each poem should stand alone. 
absolutely be able to stand alone and would be a yes on its own and not only get in because of an its companion, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also in Philly often discuss a poem and say, is there anything else by this author? But I And read the next one. But I feel that we don't do that when it's a yes for sure on number one. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I agree. And I, I think there's also sort of an unfair reality for writers that your work is affected by your other work. I, I know when I'm working yeah. on stories and I start to retread on material, I, those are tough decisions to make. Do I want to write a better version of the one that might already be out there or do I want to explore new material? And I mean, you can get stuck for months kind of yeah. just grinding it out on a treadmill. Um, and I think, I mean, I think there are a lot of unfair realities for writers, but <laughs> you know, the idea is that you, you crank out the best work possible and if you think if you think of it in terms of like music, you might have a there might be a band that you love and you like the first three songs and the next three you don't you you don't you don't listen to them anyway, you just skip them, or you mix well, down the first. I, the old days when you listened to a right. CD or a tape, the song <laughs> that you didn't like at the beginning yeah. became the song that you liked the best at the end. That I think everyone right had that experience that yeah. that oh. you fell in love with the things that were a little harder to get to know at first. Yeah, so I, I mean, for me, I, I like the poem. I, I'm, I'm sort of, I think, my aesthetic appreciation of the second poem, unfortunately, is a little bit affected by mm-hmm. how in love I am of the first one, and uh, I'm trying not to make that mm-hmm. interfere with with um, my vote. But I, um, it is a little. I, I wonder. I would be curious to know what, how I would appreciate the second one if I had read it first. Um, but I, I love the images of the, uh, of the writer. I, lo- I mean, I really do. Um, Maybe we should just try really hard to talk about Knox yeah. <laughs> by itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, though, like, and this is counter to that point, like when Tim was talking about the, the foxes in his backyard, right? Like, I'm, I'm already looking at the other the third of the poems right so maggie queenie is in this territory right like she's got wolves she's got howls she's got whimpers and she's actually questioning the different sounds right like how how you know what is what is ecstasy in its if it in its different modes is it life is it death right and so so if we focus if we focus on Knox, right i think the poem is is um you know much more of a sort of like reflective uh what like it's it's atmospheric in a way it's a it's an idea that's being contemplated rather than right like the yeah. contemplation of a narrative like a like a story inside the the last case on the murder task force and any um, poem that gets you back into those moments where you were fascinated by images yeah. is doing one of their jobs right yeah is putting yeah. you in that is is transporting you is is a really great thing yeah um, I will. I have a question though. If you guys look at the the tail of the poem with me, that the end animals take a human voice in dying, their wet tunnels of throat slick and holy as the inside of a flute bottom into the black running under. I'm baffled by that very last line. I'm not displeased by it, but I'm a little bit like, wait, what? Um, so, do you, did anybody have thoughts about that last line, or can you comment on the last line? Mm-hmm. I feel the same way. I don't. 
that kind of pulls me away from the the other images. Mm. I think it's the dirty current of life. Not <laughs> directly. <laughs> I think it's the dirty current of life. That it, yeah. Representing the life force not as this kind of, you know, positive, wonderful thing that, you know, but nature red in tooth and claw, this kind of like black sludge of yeah. viscera. Uh, doesn't yeah. blood turn black too when it dries? I just thought it was the inside of the throat still black running under, you know, because we're just inside the wet tunnels mm. of throat, two lines up. So, like, yeah. you know, I think if you just take out the slick and holy, if you take out the simile, wet tunnels of throat bottom into the black running under. Mm-hmm. I think we're still inside the throat, which would be black. Yeah. I was also thinking to kind of combine uh, Jason's reading and the more anatomical reading. Um, the idea that, you know, like you could go dark or you could bottom into the black, but it's happening at some point lower in the body than in the brain or in the mind. Mm-hmm. And I really was fascinated by that kind of image of even a metaphorical death, that it's coming from somewhere else rather than like where you go dark in your mind or your consciousness. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's impossible to be objective, but I think um, I'll I'll uh, reveal that I would be a yes on this even without the other one. Like this this one standing alone is just mm-hmm. compelling to me, and it makes me have all of those thoughts that I I talk to students about. Like, do you want to share it with somebody else? Do you want to read it again? Do you want to stay there a while? And my answer to all those things are yes, yes, yes. You know, mm-hmm. and do you feel that stomach punch? Sure enough. Sure, I do. Yeah. So I would, I, you know, um, I'm digging it. Well, I don't know. Y'all ready to vote? That might, that might be a, a great segue to taking a vote on this one and looking Obvi. at our next one. Obvi, I'm ready. Obvi. <laughs> rest, rest of all y'all. <laughs> you ready to vote, guys? I'm ready. All right. One. Wait, I got, I got to fire up my. Ready. My, my one, devices here. Hold on. Wait, 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 hold on. I got to get there. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> one, two, three, vote. Check. We got one Knox, two yeses. <laughs> we have one Knox in New York, <laughs> one no in New York, and two yeses. And we have one yes in Philadelphia and one no. Dare to hazard a guess of who the devil is. We're not going to do that. But right. the bottom line is it's three to two, ladies and Wait, gentlemen. I think I got it wrong. He wrote Knox, but then he wrote And that is how the sausage is made. Oh. Well, it's in. It's in. Um, we think one of the New York votes may have been misinterpreted, but it doesn't matter because it's in anyhow. And that's what democracy is all about. <laughs> Amen. We don't Amen. care. Number four, because three say yes. Damn it. <laughs> All right. So we're that two for two, funny. a little less unanimous on the second one, but we're still on a roll in episode five. And uh, we've got one more by Maggie Queenie. And you'll be able to look at it on our page, as I've said. But boy, it looks very different than the others. It's not couplets. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who would like to read Cry Wolf? I want Tim to read it. I think Tim should read it because it's all wolves and foxes and stuff. Okay. Cry wolf. What difference between crying and calling, cursing and summoning, the frantic limbs of a lamb and the bared legs of a boy? What difference between the desire to laugh at the adults running spades and rakes in hand and the need to know they would not run at his call? 
Remember, most do not know the name of what they want, even as they are wanting. The boy incandesces, numb and ecstatic, as it is destroyed. Remember the wolf, drawn only by gut and jaws, insistent as divining rods, heart stilling at its name called, finally, between the trees. Uh, you know, I guess I gotta be the one that says that you made a mistake in the ah. reading. And Tim, it's kind of hysterical. Yeah, kind of where you made it. All right. It's I'm going to redo this one. Uh, let's, let's do another duo. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, because it's the body incandesces, right? You said yeah, the, boy, yeah, the, the boy, boy incandesces. I said the boy incandesces. The, yeah. He said need <laughs> to know they would not run at his call. Okay. The third line of, stan of the second stanza. I said they would not? Yeah. We have, we have, yeah, I'm still that's in that fascinating. Replay, oh. I'm still so stuck crazy. in that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think this podcast in the, is in the Bermuda Triangle, right? I think yeah. our capacity to read is we're all, okay. The problem yeah. is we're all in the same time zone. That's what's happening. We're well, in the Bermuda Triangle. Okay. Well, I loved hearing the, the first poem read again. So maybe, it, maybe it's a good thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a good thing. So, okay. Again. Cry wolf. What difference between crying and calling, cursing? Wait, time out. What is that? I'm here. I'm, I'm like, gonna <laughs> maybe we maybe we switch readers. I'll take the next one. No, no, no. Hang on. No, I'm I'm hearing some like some strange feedback. Are you guys getting that too or no? I did when he started reading, but now I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, he made. I want more of the feedback. <laughs> he made another verbal mistake, but he's so, uh, if I do it, if, if, if I don't shake it off, I'm just it, it's just the way it is. All right, today. third try, third try. You got this. Cry try. wolf. What difference between crying and calling, cursing and summoning the frantic limbs of a lamb and the bared legs of a boy? What difference between the desire to laugh at the adults running, spades and rakes in hand, and the need to know they would run at his call? Remember, most do not know the name of what they want, even as they are wanting. The body incandesces, numb and ecstatic, as it is destroyed. Remember the wolf, drawn only by gut and jaws, insistent as divining rods, heart stilling as it, at its name called, finally between the trees. Woohoo! Very well done. Thank you. Bravo, bravo. I'm going to point out that it is an inverted sonnet with the sestet prior to the octave. Well, wow. too fancy. Sexy boy. <laughs> Reverse with no rhyme scheme, but establishing the question prior to the response. Oh, nice. Yeah. But that being said, I do not like this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why not? Um, the questions don't feel that compelling to me. And the um, the insistence, the, the sort of the chanting of remembering, um, remember the wolf, um, <laughs> remember that most do not know the name of what they want. Um, it it didn't feel it it felt a there felt uh, to me a distance between the subject and the speaker that wasn't present in the other ones. In the other ones, I really felt like I was right there. And in these, I feel like there's a kind of intellectual distance, sort of reminding. Um, insisting, very kind of like um, just at a remo at a remove that I didn't yeah. feel in the other poems. I hear you. Well, I I think the remove 
I'm going to put this out there. I really like this poem. I think the remove um, is actually about almost like a fabled story or a folkloric mythic type thing that goes around the town that people talk about. Because I'm thinking of, you know, obviously the, the boy who cried wolf and how this became such an iconic story and saying. poem is like playing with that and rewriting it. And I, I do... I do like the the idea. I'm thinking of like the Stephen Dunn poem, Odysseus's Secret, which is like, I'm going to butcher the line, but if I, you can't tell what you choose and what chooses you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that that's the whole thing about crying wolf. Like eventually you, you do get to the point where you can't tell if you're summoning something or if something is chasing you, I guess. Yeah. That's interesting, Miriam, because that recalls, remember, most do not know the name of what they want, even as they are wanting, right? That's the same idea that you just expressed from the dumb poem. Yeah. Yeah. That's a kind of, I don't know which one of you, I think this backs up Jason in a way. This one has what I talk to students about as an austerial presence. I kind of feel the poet saying, you know, I am writing a poem. You know, that and that kind of distance, like it's not real and raw, it's a little too posed. I, I, I feel that, that it's it stylized, it's self-consciously stylized in a way that doesn't appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Dr. Wren? I have to tell you, right? Like, it's so interesting to hear you guys talk this through because there, there's something about poems that make essayistic moves that I love, right? So the, and you guys called it the, the sort of um, the repetition, like remember, remember, right? And there's sort of like litany of that, the, that repetition. And the poem starts with what difference between, what difference between, right? So it really does like um, move into a sort of like, like rational intellectual essaying realm rather than activating some other chakra, right? Like the poetry chakra of the body, the poetry chakra of the heart, this is like the poetry chakra of the mind, right? So that sort of, um, it's rhetorical considerations. I kind of dig, right? I actually like the the questioning and pondering of it. And um, that that creepiness of being in the woods and, and calling calling a, like calling up drama, right? To rally the, the group. It, I, I think that as, as legends slash fables go, like that one's got traction for me, mm-hmm. right? So I think... I think I, I'm digging the, the rhetorical pose of it. Tim, we haven't heard from you on this one. Well, I, I agree. I, I do like this poem. There are a few things that bother me. Like I don't. I like. I love the sentiment. Uh, what most do not. Most do not know the name of what they want, even as, even as they are wanting. I don't like the poet telling me that, but I like it enough to not let it bother me too much. Um, I wish the remember wasn't there, but I don't want to be uh, too annoying about it. I mean, I think that's probably my hang-up instead of the poems mm. hang-up. Or it's not enough of an issue for me to to uh, let it bother me too much mm-hmm. because it's the, it's the idea after that that sticks. Um, mm. So that's one of the main things that I really like. So if that's if, – usually if there's one – if there's something like that in a poem that I'll chew on, I'll, I'll chew on for the rest of the rest of the day. Then, uh, I mean, I like it. It gets to a point. It gets to a spot that I'm looking for in a poem. All right. 
All right. Sounds like we're ready to vote on this one too, right? Agreed. You guys ready? Um, one, two, three, vote. <laughs> As we wait for New York to come in, I will tell you that in Philadelphia it's split with one no and one yes. One no, two yes. Oh, and there's one no and two yes in New York. So once again, democracy rules. Three to two. First you democracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, the other thing PBQ is committed to, just keep telling yourself that when the vote doesn't go your way. Because <laughs> um, that's what I'm saying right now. <laughs> but it's all good. So Maggie Queenie, thank you very much. She was three for three. Um, and that's exciting stuff. Yeah, that's um, going to be a nice anchor in the monsters issue. I think. Absolutely, I think it's going to be great in that issue. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Maggie Queenie, for letting us discuss you on air. Yeah. Thank you, Maggie Queenie. I hope it was more fascinating than terrifying in the end when she listens to it. <laughs> we'll have to ask her for that feedback. Um. So, so the situation is, ladies and gentlemen, we have gone forty-five minutes. And we have mm -hmm. three more poems to do. And I'm wondering what you guys think. Uh, we should only do one of those or do two of those or what we should do because we have 15 minutes. I'm going to let you decide, um, Dr. Ren, because this batch comes in via Abu Dhabi. And yes, it does. Right. So I think my my decision would be if we're going to discuss them, we should discuss all of them. Okay. Um, but I don't know if we have the time. So let me just maybe tell the story up front. And it might be that the story is what we discuss and then make a decision on the poems another go. Yeah. Right. So because okay. it raises a, a bunch of issues about um, our editorial process, our pace um, and the, the reality of simultaneous submissions. Right. So. Um, Adam Day sent us a batch of poems, and um, as they were going through the, the rounds of commenting and, and being read by our editors, um, slowly but surely, uh, poems in the batch were being accepted elsewhere, right? And as one of our editors you know, read the batch and said yes to a poem, and then another person said yes to a poem, the poems that we loved were being taken by other people. And Adam was, um, you know, uh, sort of forthright about this and let us know immediately when the poems were being accepted elsewhere, which poems were being accepted. So we were left with um, several poems that, that we wound up rejecting of his, right? So there were two that we really liked, three that we didn't. And so we sent a rejection to him. And form rejection letters, you know, they really don't capture what we're doing, right? Which mm -hmm. is identifying the stuff that we like, the ones that we, we're, we're not willing to publish. Um, really only the, the, the author will only ever see thank you, but no, right? So I sent a side note to Adam and said, look, I'm sorry, we, we missed out on the two poems. Congratulations for getting them placed. You know, we're still looking for, for work for, you know, unthemed issues, monsters and locals. Do you have any more that you would want to send us? And lo and behold, he was able to send us a new batch, right? And so what we'd be looking at are um, two or three poems from the second batch that he sent us um, that went through a, a couple rounds of, of readers, and we identified the two or three um, that we would want to discuss in the podcast. Um, so that's where we stand with this with this poet. That's the, the narrative of, um, of the batch and batches that he sent our way. Um, but it really does raise issues about, you know, simultaneous submission and contacting authors and the sort of blanket um, silence, really, of a rejection 
Yeah, right? Like you, yeah. you don't really know what the story was. Right. To explicate a little further, I know that probably all of our listeners um, use Submittable to submit, but unless you're on an editorial staff, um, you might not know that there are notes that run along the side of the submission that tell the narrative of how it's going in the editorial process. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what this narrative strip looked like is somebody said yes to one of the poems and before it got to another two readers and therefore got to the editorial table before there was a chance for discussion adam wrote in and said you know poem a has been taken elsewhere so now that's no longer open for discussion right so um it's interesting sometimes to look at the notes on the side of submittable and see how that narrative goes and um that always breaks our heart when somebody got to it first, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast to talk about why people get to their work first. Um, so Adam Day, uh, really for Marion to take the time to send him a note and say, send us something else was actually an act of generosity that we don't get a lot of time for most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Most yeah. of the time, he would have just been rejected on the, on the poems that were left, and that's it, and never known that if they hadn't been accepted elsewhere, they might have been in PPT. So, and I'm going to place a plug for Adam Day's new book from Saraband, um, Model of a City in Civil War. It's fantastic. Oh, wow. Oh, great. Great. Well, we'll have to put that up on the podcast page since we're not even talking about his poems. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I guess what are we telling people that if you get a rejection, but some of the work has been pulled out, um, don't fret. Uh, <laughs> sometimes when I'm speaking at conferences and to other groups, I tell people, please, when you simultaneously submit, let the folks know because if anything, you'll get to the top, you'll move faster up the slush pile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And I think Adam did everything right in this too, like by, by letting us know in his cover letter that it was a simultaneous submission and then being really timely about letting us know when the stuff was, was grabbed. And I, you know, and I do think about that, Kathy, like would, but that we had the time, right. To contact the authors um, for like, you know, with private notes on the side saying, send us more stuff, but we really don't. And when I think back to like what moved me to do this, I think it's because the editorial board in Abu Dhabi had said yes to his poems and they don't often say yes, <laughs> right? Like they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they tend to say maybe strong maybes, right? Because we're sort of figuring out how to talk to each other about poems mm -hmm. um, in Abu Dhabi, right? And so for, for them to have said, yes, I, I really wanted to reach out to Adam and, and just see if there was, there was something else yeah. um, for our discussions, so. Any other comments on this part of the editorial process for our listeners, readers, submitters? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I actually hope that in terms of what we're doing here, which is kind of making transparent what is usually opaque, that it actually shows how many possibilities there are within the opacity of the process. Yeah. A lot of times we're, we're only looking for a yes or no and we don't really think about how multiple those yeses and nos can be and how they don't always mean what we think they do. And so I, I really hope that in kind of talking about this, we're actually creating more space mm -hmm. um, for people to kind of 
think about or, or just to feel comfortable inside of the yeses and nos that like so often they're just interpreted as everyone hates me. Uh, <laughs> right, right. And I, see that, and, and I think Facebook has made this a lot more prevalent that what mm -hmm. used to be just kind of, you know, like complaining at the bar or like, you know, moaning with your friends has really become like a very public enterprise of like, oh, no one is supporting me. No one is taking this work. No one is doing this. No one is doing that. Um, and so I really hope that this is kind of a response to that and that this kind of opens up that space and says that it actually is a far more diverse set of possibilities than one might think. Yeah. Well said. Wonderful. Well said. Um, yeah. All right. Well, by way of uh, wrapping this up and saying goodbye, uh, I'll mention that ep episode six will most likely be inside Intel from AWP in LA. <laughs> um, really excited to be going there. Have no idea what we'll be talking about, but we're going to talk in LA and make a podcast out of it. Um, I liken AWP to Disney World, and I do this as a favor to those people who haven't been to many and they're just completely overwhelmed. This is what I try to say. You're not going to make a mistake. That's all there is to it. Whatever you do is going to be good. You can't do it all. So you're not going to make a mistake. It's like a choice between, uh, well, I guess small world would never be a good choice. But, um, I'm trying, you know, <laughs> seeing the Beauty of the Beast show and going 20,000 leagues under the sea. It's all good. It's all fine, right? Advent calendar, whichever um, box you open is going to be filled with something wonderful. There you go. That's better. I love you too. Yeah. So I, I am prone to more like anxiety and pessimism. So this is why <laughs> I'm so glad to hang out with you gorgeous people. Um, because Kathleen's right. Like, you know, like taking a beat and being just grateful, right. For all the opportunities. And as Jason points out, like whatever you decide to go to, it's going to be full of, of, of fabulousness. Um, I would advocate drink a lot of water and put your feet up when you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, my actual metaphor is that AWP is like a crystal meth pit. <laughs> so you're We're going to already start revealing. It's going to take a while to recover. And like Marion said, drink a lot of water. Drink a lot of water. I and have to take you know, a picture of Marion when we're in LA. With, when she says put your feet up. Like, I'm serious. She means up. <laughs> It's good for your circulation. Uh, just stay tuned for right? episode and six. I, and I also want to say, too, like, <laughs> dear AWP goers, if you have any sort of panic and anxiety and feel alone in the crowd of fabulousness, come and seek us out in the book fair and just stand with us, right? We'll yeah. likely have a flask behind the table and... <laughs> and water. <laughs> and, and drink and water. We're, we're we'll have a flask and water. So I uh, would love to know what you think. As always, each episode has its own Facebook event. So comment, yeah. comment away. Let us know how we're doing, what you'd like to hear us talk about. Sign up for our email list if you're in the area and even if you're not. And if you send us a self-addressed stamped envelope, we'll send you a PBQ podcast slash pile sticker. Woo. When you see them, they're awesome. So read on. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced through a joint venture of Drexel University's Office of Information Resources and Technology and the Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. This podcast is the property of Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. All rights reserved.